You're listening to the sermon podcast of Mountain View Church. Whether you're here catching up on last week's message or digging through a past series, we're so grateful you've tuned in today. Our prayer is the next 30 to 40 minutes helps you become a more whole follower of Jesus. If you're local and would like to join us, we'd love to see you this Sunday. For those who can't make it in person, services are also streamed on Facebook and YouTube. All the information about service times, what we have for kids, and much more can be found on our website, almsville.church. Now, let's open our hearts and minds to today's message. Good morning. Welcome, everybody. It's greetings to you and greetings to people online tuning in. Uh, Thank you so much. We're going to be in Acts 14, Acts 14, uh, and continue on with this, uh, this lesson, this trip with the Apostle Paul, which is so crazy. Um, any dads here this morning? How many dads we got? Right on, man. We got we have amazing dads in our church. I became a dad for the third time in 2001 when Cole was born. And uh, and that was a real treat. And, you know, when you're young, you, you, you know, you, you don't have a lot of context. So sometimes a lot of things are misunderstood, you know. And so I, I, uh, I was taught, I, I would always say different things to him when he was a kid. One of the things I said was, I would go up to him and say, I am your father, Luke. <laughs> right? And I'd say that to him all the time. I am your father, Luke. And then one day he went to his grandma and he said, um, did you know this is my father, Luke? <laughs> and it dawned on me. Uh, I was saying it wrong. And, and Vader never said Luke anyway. So, but I can see how, I can see how he'd get that. Anyway, um, I was watching... Last week's message online, I couldn't be in here. And uh, Mike got to the point where he was talking about the Apostle Paul and how he had gone into the, the, the synagogue to preach and he did such a great job that they invited him back, right? They wanted him to come back. He was so good. And then Mike made this comment that I'll never forget. He said, I am very picky about who I have as a guest speaker because I don't want to get traded in for an upgrade. And then it dawned on me why he doesn't mind I speak. All right, so that's why I'm up here. Oh, boy. The truth is out, and I love you, and I, and, and I thank you for that, and it's just a joke. Brenda and I, my wife, were, uh, were married in New York, where she's from, and then we had a job out here, so we moved out here, and so that meant that our honeymoon was a two-week road trip from New York to Oregon, and uh, in our little red car, okay, in a little red car, and uh, it got us all over the place, just like it was supposed to, so um, what's interesting to me, and we had this, uh, it only came equipped with a radio, right? So we had to buy a boom box. And we had that boom box in between us and we could play all our tapes, okay? So that we could really pump the jam that way. <laughs> and that's what got us through the long road trip, those hours on the road, mile after mile. But I'll let you in on a little secret. Uh, 
every morning we'd get up and we'd get on the road, and within 20 minutes, she was out like a light, out cold. And so I'm driving along. Well, fast forward 31 years, and for some reason, she can't sleep when I drive anymore. I don't know why. Are there any guys like, can you relate to that? My wife can't sleep when I drive. I don't understand. You know, I'm more experienced. I, I, I've never had an accident. I've slowed down. I'm much slower. You know, I, I'm old, okay? I've joined the old driver's club. You know what that is? The old driver's club. Their business card is a steering wheel, a hat, and two knuckles. All right? They drive slow, they sit low. That's how it is. What is the age that you get to where you back out of a driveway and just say, you know what? I don't care anymore. <laughs> you know how they do that? They just go, well, I'm old and I'm coming back. <laughs> you know? <clears throat> that flashing turn signal that's on from the, when they left the, that morning? That kind of stuff. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. But that's the thing that's crazy is, is you'd think that she would trust me by now. We took a lot of pictures when we were on our trip. You know, we, we probably had 10 rolls of film, which isn't a lot. It's like 30 pictures after you get them developed because, you know, most of them have your eyes closed. But we had this special deal that we had, and uh, it was a coupon for like a dollar per role to be developed. And so I was so excited, I was, I was gonna get my, my film developed, I sent it off to New York, it, and two came back. And we were devastated, we were like, oh, I can't believe it, we lost all these memories. You know, all these memories, you know, the, the Route 66, and the Grand Canyon, and, and Disneyland, and Catalina Island, gone, 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 gone. It was such a, it was devastating to us. In fact, Brenda just said the other day, yeah, you know, it's only in our memories, which are fading quickly. <laughs> yeah, instead of sitting in a box, hidden where you can't find them. But we were, we were really crushed by that. And so you can imagine the parallels between our road trip and the Apostle Paul's road trip. There are literally no parallels. No, not, not even perpendicular. Our paths wouldn't even have crossed. But as recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 9, Jesus had picked Saul of Tarsus to be his man. Who, by the way, at the meantime, was basically persecuting the church. But when he got saved, he got the whole church leadership together and he said, we got to come up with a plan. And he got the map out, like you can see here. And he got the map out, and he circled Jerusalem. He said, you take Jerusalem. And I'm going to take the rest. All right? And so that's where we we're at. We're on his first missionary journey. And we're going to focus in Acts chapter 14 on Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. Those three, three cities right there. Okay? And as you can see here, this is the route that shows 
his trip from Antioch all around and then back to Antioch in Syria. So we're going to start out in verse 1 of 14. So if you're there, uh, turn with me. By the way, you know, you have the Bible app too where you can, you can digitize all your notes. You can save them to digital form, right? And then you can take them to heaven with you. That's what's beautiful about this. Like I, like, like I stopped taking notes on paper when God took my message that one day at the, at the ballpark. Done. All digital. Verse 1. At Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Verse 5, there's a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe. Verse 19, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Verse 26, they sailed back to Antioch. Ouch. What kind of road trip is that? I want to forget that road trip ever happened. That was a disaster. That was horrible. Who wants that? There's nothing worth writing home about there. If, in fact, that was the whole truth. But it's not. There's more. Let's go back and read more. Because what happens is you can see when we put all of that garbage together, we can see what they went through and how miserable it was. If, if, they had, if God hadn't moved, that would have been the worst thing ever. Christianity would have stopped right there. But it didn't. The Apostle Paul was involved in this. Anybody else, trip would have been over. All right? Just keep that in mind. Now let's look at the rest. Let's go back to verse 1. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. Now that's worth writing home about. Right? Verse 3, so Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. You ever look at your life and go, you know what, I don't know, I don't see any signs. When have I ever seen signs? I've held signs, I've created signs, I've bought signs. I've signed my name, I've resigned I know a little sign language. How about wonders? I don't see any wonders. I wonder who. I wonder when. I wonder why. I wonder what. I wonder woman. The wonder years. But no wonders. Where are the wonders? But God was willing to see support their trip and their work, their obedience with the supernatural. All right? And so if you're willing to obey God, if you're willing to be obedient... God's going to work in your life, and his grace will be evident in your life. And we all want God's grace in our life. So as you can be obedient, you'll look back in the rearview mirror of your life, and you're going to go, you know what? I didn't know how that happened. I can't explain how that happened. I don't know how God did that. That must have been a God thing. That wasn't me. It must have been God. 
And the change and the growth in your life is going to be a sign of God's grace. And that's a beautiful sign. That's a wonderful sign. All right, so now they're in, they, they, in, in Iconium, they were almost killed. So they hit the road. Now they're in Lystra, verse 8 in Lystra. It says, there sat a man who was lame. He'd been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Wow, wow, wow. What do we have here? We have ourselves a miracle. This is what I've been looking forward to. This is what we've all been looking forward to. There's a miracle just happened. And Paul's thinking, God's going to take this city. This is good. This is good right here. But look at verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconium language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, and they called Zeus. And Paul, they called Hermes. This is no good. This is no good. This is not what we were expecting. Paul and Barnabas tore their clothes, it says. They were completely beside themselves. But what about Peter and John? Peter and John had, had healed the guy at the temple gate, remember? And he jumped up and everybody applauded and everybody was excited. And it was the wonders of God. Yeah, why? Because he was a Jew. They were Jewish. These people are Gentiles. This is a completely different culture. All right? They have no God concept like the Jews did. They're busy worshiping Zeus outside the city. There's a, 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 a temple Zeus outside the city gates. They're all into mythological gods. And they're going to have a completely different reaction. And Paul's like, you know what? We're just men like you. We're no different than you. We're just human beings just like you. But the city folk there, they weren't going to have it. They weren't going to mess this one up like last time. Okay. So what is Greek mythology to you and me is pure religion to them. The reality. And Ovid, who was a Greek poet, about 40 years earlier had written a story about Zeus and Hermes and how they had come down from the heavens, and they had, they were in disguise like, like humans, and, and they went door to door, and they were seeking out hospitality, and nobody would let them in. Finally, at the very end, an old couple let them in. And they spared their life. Oh, and then they took the city, and they flooded it and destroyed the whole city. And so you can see how this had probably influenced the crowd's reaction that day. They weren't going to let Paul and Hermes get away. They were going to bring their... All their idols, they were going to bring their stuff to worship them. They weren't going to let, they were going to mess up again. Right? And so Paul goes into this, this sermon. He starts preaching at him. He's like, he's like, you don't understand. You need to let go of these crazy gods of yours. You need to let go of these worthless gods. You got to turn to the true God, the true God who made and created the heavens and the earth. Not only did he do that, but if you look around, you can see for yourself the evidence of God's creator, of the creator. On top of that, you know what? He's good. He's a good God. He brings the rain. He brings the crops. You eat because he's good. See the difference there? 
their God comes to destroy, and they fear him. The true God comes to develop, and we thank him. A really big difference. God's not going to destroy your crops. With God, it's never about what you do. We get so wrapped up in the what you do. What do I got to do? With God, it's always about who you are. And that's, that's idol worship. Idol worship always asks the question, what are you going to do? Whereas God worship always says, who are you? What are you going to be? God cares more about who you are than what you do. Think about that. It's refreshing. It's a refreshing freedom. And that's why he wrote to the Galatian church a little bit later in Galatians 5.1. He said, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm and don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. God has come to set you free. God wants you to be changed from the inside out. Paul's ultimate goal. I want you to think about this. Paul's ultimate goal was not to prove the existence of God. But to prove the necessity for God. Think about that. You can prove God all you want. Doesn't mean it's going to change somebody. Doesn't mean it's going to make a difference. We can look at our society right now, and a lot of people believe in God, but the problem is they don't see the purpose, right? And so that's why our society is the way it is. Proving God doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be life change. That's all I'm saying. So we see that in our society. And if, we, if, if, if Paul could prove the necessity, then we can begin to see change. Because you change a person's thinking and you change their behavior. That's why David said a long time ago, I hide the word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's a connection between the things that we think about and how we behave. And Paul gives this incredible speech, and he goes on and on. And then Luke, Luke, uh, Luke records in verse 18, check this out. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Good of a preacher as he was, didn't help. And a lot of times we do the same thing. We, we, we go through our day and we, we make sacrifices, but we make the wrong sacrifices and we sacrifice a worship or our Sunday morning or we sacrifice, you know, um, our, our church fellowship or, or even our family, all for the wrong reasons. Well, things really began to turn sour quickly for Paul and Barnabas. Because in verse 19 it goes, Then some Jews came from Antioch. And Iconium. And they won the crowd over. All right, these were the same people who tried to kill Paul in the, in the city prior to this. Now they came to the new city. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. Verse 20, but the disciples had gathered around him. He got up and went back into the city. I want you to think about that for a minute. 
he went back into the city. I would have gone back to the hotel. I'd have gone back to the tent or wherever he lived. I'd have gone back. I Forget that. I'd gone back to where he came from, Antioch. I mean, that's a good enough reason for me. Hey, they tried to kill me. <laughs> Wouldn't that send you back? Anybody else, Christianity is over. But not Paul. Later, he writes, the scars that I bear. What scars do you bear, Paul? He's probably talking about the rock they threw at his head. Think about it. Angela Duckworth, in her New York Times bestseller, Grit, the Power of Passion and Perseverance, said this. This is a great quote. She writes, grit is passion and persistence applied toward long-term achievement. With no particular concern for rewards or recognition along the way. You know, that is Paul to a T. That, that is, that's why Jesus picked Paul. Because success is dependent upon your ability to pr- push through difficult circumstances to carry out your purpose. That's where success comes from, pushing through. Why is it that whenever we hit a wall, we want to back off and turn around? We need to generate stickability in our life. When I was in college, I drove back and forth to Oklahoma. We have, we have in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, one of our Wesleyan colleges, and so uh, I went there at the time, and so I would drive back and forth to Oklahoma to get to school, right, in my little truck, my long bed truck, all right? And uh, what was crazy about this truck was, and I called it the mustard seed, all right, because I remember God said it takes faith, if you have, if faith is size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains, right? And, said, and that, so I said, if I have faith the size of this truck, I can drive it, <laughs> right? And so I would drive the truck. By the way, it took 32 quarts of oil one way. <laughs> All right, that was problem number one. If you're a mechanic, you can tell me how that happens. It wasn't coming out the exhaust pipe. It was going, it was burning somewhere. But it was a Toyota. Kept starting up, so I just kept driving it. I mean, every couple hours, I'd put in a quart of oil. I'd get to the gas station, fill it up with oil, check the gas. Just, just the opposite. Thankfully, oil was like 69, 70 cents a quart back then. And gas was like 80 cents. Today, it'd be more than my tuition to get to school. I'm like, I can't go to college. I can't even get there let alone pay for college. So the cool thing about it was we had a lot of students on our district who lived in the Northwest, and they traveled there too and went to college. And so we would oftentimes go together, and we would carpool it, and and we'd knock it out going through the night, you know how that is, and and we'd stop for gas and food, and, and it'd be like 32 hours. But we'd just power through. Well, one year, 
I didn't have anybody to go with. So I bought my case of oil. I got on the road. And I was so excited. I said, I, I can do this. I've done this before. Not by myself, but I've done this. I know what to expect. I'm just going to power through. We're going to power naps. We're going to get me through this. 15 minutes here, 30 minutes there. I'm just going to fly through my record time. All right, and so I got going. got my map. As you can see, my route, I get to Boise. It's like 10 o'clock at night, and I hit a wall. I'm real tired. But that's okay because I've got power naps, and I've got a secret weapon. And that secret weapon is no doze. <laughs> now, we didn't have energy drinks back there, and I didn't drink coffee. So I didn't know what caffeine was. I was young. I didn't need caffeine. But you know what happens when you take and put 200 milligrams in a pill inside a 19-year-old? I was through the roof. At 10 o'clock, I popped that pill. I was fine. I was buzzing. And I was just like jitters and all that goes along with that. As I'm cruising along, and I get about four hours down the road, about 2 a.m., I hit another wall. Ten times worse. I came down, and I came down hard. And so I said, that's okay. I'm going to find a rest area. I'm going to pull over, lock the doors, lay down in my cab. 15, 30 minutes, boom, be back on the road. And I lay down, closed my eyes, 2 a.m. Woke up at 8. <laughs> 8 o'clock. I was so mad. I couldn't believe it. Do you know how far I'd be in hours. I can't believe this. I ruined my life. Right? And so I'm going, and so that was like one of the worst days of my life. But I'm cruising along here and uh, I make a lot of time. Eventually I get somewhere not too far from Wichita. I'm in Kansas. At 3 in the morning, I-70 and you know, if you know the Midwest in August, it's 3 a.m. in the morning. It's like 90 out and humidity. And I didn't have air conditioning, so this is the way it was. It was miserable. But I'm cruising along, and all of a sudden, bam, blew a tire. That's okay. I have a spare. So I got out, and there's nobody around. I'm in the middle of nowhere. Can't even see anything anywhere. I get my tire out. I get the jack. I jack it up. I go to get the lug wrench. It's not there. So I have no lug wrench. So I can't change my tire. And so I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to do? I don't know where I'm going to go. And so I look down the road, and I see it just in the distance. Just a dim light. I think I'm going to go there. I'll find a lug wrench. And I go walking, and probably 50 yards, I realize I ain't walking that far. <laughs> All right? That's too far. <laughs> All right? And, and so just about that time, I look down on the ground, and you're not going to believe this, but it's true, was a closed-in wrench. I don't know how it got there, but it was there. 
And I grabbed that wrench. I ran back as fast as I got. I said, this is going to do it. And I stuck it on there, and it fit. And I began to reef on it, and it was too small, and it bent. Ugh, back to score one. And so I look across the freeway, and there's a semi parked across the freeway. What semi parks on the freeway? Isn't that why they have truck stops? Why would you be across the street where I'm at? So I went over there, and I thought I'd ask this guy for a lug wrench. So, so I rap on, on the, the door. It's 3 in the morning, and the curtain pulls, and he looks down like this. All right? And I'm like, do you have a lug wrench? And he looked down at me, and he looked down at his tire. And I think what he was doing was he's saying, the lug nuts are that big. I don't have a lug wrench. So I went back to my car, and I started to think, what am I going to do? And about that time, a semi had stopped where I was, picked me up. I said, this is my situation. I just need to get to this town, and I can find somebody with a lug wrench, and then I'll be good. So we go into town, find somebody who's uh, a road worker, and I told my story, and he said, yeah, just find me when, when you get back. I'm going to be down road working. I said, thank you. And I got my lug wrench. I started walking and walking and walking. And I was like, this is a two-minute drive. It took me like 45 minutes to walk back. It was like eternity. It was like interminable. It just didn't stop. And I'm like, come on, man. And nobody would stop. There's traffic coming along. Nobody would stop to pick me up. That's okay. I'm just a college student who's taking my morning walk on I-70 with a lug wrench. That's just, that's what I do. And I got back to my car. I finally got the thing put on. I got the, the tire put on there. And it was good to go. One problem. I'm poor, broke, depressed, and overworked. I'm a college student. And so I bought a cheap tire. Now, back then, they, you could buy a bias ply. You know what a bias ply is? That means there's no, there's no radial in there. There's no steel belt. It's literally a slab of rubber. And they threw it on a rim, and I made it my spare. And so you know what happens when you take a bias ply and put it on your car and drive over 50? It was like, I mean, it was like, I was literally all shaken up at 50. I couldn't go over 50 because the tire was unbalanced. And so I'm a wreck. I'm already a wreck. I finally got to school. It was, a, it was one of the most miserable trips that I ever took. But the point is this. All right. Don't let a breakdown. Cause a turnaround. It's very simple. Too often, I could have easily said, you know what? God doesn't want me going here. What am I doing? I'm going back home. He obviously doesn't want me to get there. But facing setbacks should not cause you 
to give up. You got to push through. You got to keep going. You got to have that grit. Verse 20. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Verse 27, they gathered the church together, reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. That's what, that's what Paul wanted. He was called to the Gentiles. He was, but he was called to preach to the Gentiles and reach the, the known world of people who, who, who typically or, or originally were not meant. And you know who they gained on this trip? They gained a very valuable member, Timothy. We all know Timothy. He's got two letters in the Bible. He, he followed Paul around. He, he, he pastored Ephesus, okay? Paul writes him a couple letters, First and Second Timothy. He must have been a young guy because, you know, Paul wrote him later and said, hey, don't let him look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in love, life, faith, speech, and purity. Okay, hang in there. Don't give up. Tim, it's going to take some grit. And for you and me, in our life, let me tell you something. We need grit. We need to hang in there. Don't give up. There's times where I just feel like, you know what, throw in the towel, I'm done. You got to hang in there. You can't stop. Verse 22, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. What are you made of? Do you have grit in your life?